tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are, and uh, as most of you, as in old, the voice in my head is starting to sing as in olden days, golden days. What is that song? I don't know. The uh, At any rate, yes, here we are, and I, like you, have pretty much nothing ready for Christmas, but that's all right. I don't have much to get ready. Good so grief. that said, good grief, it's true. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Well, all right. Let's... Oh, you're yawning. This is going to be an exciting show as I yawn away. Um, where was I? Ah, yes. Uh, yeah, the big book on the coffee table. There we go. Well, this this first reading, there are optional first readings. There's a reading from Song of Songs and a reading from the uh, Zephaniah. Hark? <laughs> Is this live voice in my head? Did you just say hark? No, that was just for hark. you, hark. That's oh, that was just hark. for me, hark. Yes, you reminded me. I was going to tell you about hark. Hark is a... How often do you actually say the word Hark. I mean, really, <laughs> you can hear me clicking away. Hark is not a word that we use a lot. Okay. Hark is from the Old English around 1200, Heorkan, to hearken, to listen, perhaps an intensive form of the base of heron, which means here. So uh, that that that's hark. It means, well, I, I don't know what it means. It, I think it probably, uh, oh, good grief. And it comes from the old High German Horken. <laughs> it sounds that awful. That is some weird, wild stuff. Really, it is. But Hark is is um, uh, um, it's it's it means to listen intensely. I think is what it means in modern English. But it's absolutely archaic, and you know, I wonder why we do that. Why we translate? You know, well, it's rich. It's keeping the language rich. Hark, here, my lover comes, bring across the mountains. It would work. That's the problem with English, by the way. English changes on a dime. And, um, you know, uh, people always want the exact translation of the Bible. No such thing. Take the time to learn biblical Greek. It's much easier than you think. And I would recommend, if I, I'm being semi-serious about this, uh, the a book by uh, William Mounts, M-O-U-N-C-E. It's published by Zondervan. It's very good uh, for beginning Greek without an, uh, without a teacher. Um, but uh, it's it's 
you can get enough Greek in a very short period of time to be able to go to, uh, well, I won't, don't tell anyone I'm telling you this, but Bible Hub. It, it's where I go when I can't think of a, uh, a Greek word, and it's so easy to use, but just shh, don't tell anyone. That's our secret. Um, it's, you're an instant scholar. Uh, but the the you can learn enough Greek in a very short time to actually make it useful for you. And, and uh, you know, I always say Greek isn't that hard. Every three-year-old in Athens spoke it. All right, moving along. Song of Songs is a very strange uh, book. It doesn't doesn't talk about God. It's a very odd book. It 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 seems uninterested in the law or the covenant or the God of Israel. Uh, it's it doesn't talk about wisdom. It's 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 essentially now. Oh, it's essentially I'm going to clean this up here. Essentially, love poetry. And how did it get in the Hebrew canon? Uh, well, it got in the Hebrew canon because of its association traditionally with Solomon. Uh, we're not sure that Solomon wrote it, but that's the the tradition, and it was kind of polished up to to um, uh, represent the love between God and Israel, and we extend that to uh, the love between Christ and His bride, the Church. So this is um, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful poem, and at the end we have those verses: "Love is as relentless as death." Um, it's it's very beautiful. So. That's how it got into the scripture, and it's it's taken in a spiritual way as a kind of uh, uh, representation of the love of Christ for his church, at least by us Christians. So um, read it. It's beautiful. Then the second reading is from Zephaniah, and Zephaniah wrote in the times of King uh, Josiah. He prophesied in the days of King Josiah. That's about 640 B.C., and remember that people were taken away in exile. Just uh, what would it be? Uh, uh, Sixty years uh, before the uh, um, uh, before the end of the reign, of, or after the re- end of the reign of Josiah. So what was it, was forty years that? No, uh, let me get. You know the numbers are backward in in, in the BC eighty. You know I, I'm numerically challenged. I always tell people I can only count to twenty if my shoes are off, but uh, actually it was uh, just about ten years, uh, twenty years before the end of the uh, the kingdom. But Josiah reformed uh, the uh, the the worship of the temple and the religion of Israel, which I think allowed. Uh, Judaism to to emerge because the Jews did not lose their 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 faith. You know the the tri- northern tribes went before them. The northern tribes had mixed their religion with the religions of the pagans, uh, just as we uh, mix our religion with the religions of the pagans. Well, yeah, yeah, we we have no problem with the uh, the human sacrifices offered to the gods of America. Humans say, yeah, I'm talking about abortion, of course, you know, to the gods of prosperity and uh, wealth and convenience, uh, we offer our our unborn children. So um, that means ultimately we will be lost as a, as a nation, you know, that, that when you kill your children, your nation is over. And, and that's exactly what happened to the northern tribes. And frequently, even in Jerusalem, uh, the religion of the Canaanites came in and and uh, uh, corrupted the worship of the Lord. And 
Josiah reformed the the religion of Israel and and reminded them of their their monotheism they worship one god the lord and that that their religion was not just about uh sacrificing children so they could do well economically but it was about ethical and moral behavior and this went into exile with the the uh with the Judeans into Babylon and the Judeans came back from Babylon now uh, i think this is one way to put it the Judeans came back from Babylon as Jews uh, a, a people who had been thoroughly purged by their experience, you know, not perfect, but they survived as as an ethnicity and as a, a faith and as a people and still do. All right, moving along here, uh, let's get back to the readings. Um, I, I mentioned both readings because in Josiah, he, he prophesies doom and or gloom that they're going to get us, they're going to take us over, they're going to destroy us. But don't worry. The Lord is in your midst. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, be not discouraged. And I'm going to take my word of the day from that line, but we'll do that later. Let's go on to the gospel. All right, the gospel. Uh, Mary set out uh, in those days and traveled to the hill country in haste. You know, uh, this is interesting. She went in haste, and one wonders why she went in haste. Um, let me let me get let me get the Greek word here. I think it's an interesting word um, uh, for haste. Yeah, it's it's a little more than haste. It's aspude. Uh, let's see what what are the meanings of aspude? Diligence, earnestness, enthusiasm. Uh, it can mean to move quickly, but it, it means it was seriousness, but earnestness. Uh, you're really into this. She was told by the angel about her cousin, and she was anxious to get there. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I've heard it said, well, she was in flight because of her situation. I don't think so. The angel had told her something, and God had inspired her. I used to think that, but uh, the angel had told her something, inspired her, and she just wanted to get to Elizabeth and be of what help she could and to rejoice with her. And and we see that this, this reading is, is all about rejoicing. Um, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and that word is in. That means to skip, skipped in her womb. But then Elizabeth says uh, she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out in a loud voice and said, most blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Um, how does this happen that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We say that uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, no one can can acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And this is this is a huge thing. You know, when you see, uh, you know, I, I've shared this with you, that uh, uh, an observant and devout Jew will not pronounce the sacred name of God, Y-H-W-H. It was pronounced, uh, I'm sure by the time of Christ this was true, it, it, was a, it was pronounced once a year in the Holy of Holies by the high priest. And Jews will labor to, to uh, get around the name of God. In fact is, really devout Jews will not write G-O-D. And G-O-D, I've explained this about the name of God, that, that that's not God's name. That's kind of a job description. It's an Indo-European word that means the one to whom prayers are addressed. 
Uh, the other words that we have forgot, like in Spanish, Dios, or, or in French, Dieu, in Italian, Dio, uh, or in Greek, Theos, these are all related. That really comes from an Indo-European word meaning the shining one. None of these are the name of God. God's name is YHWH, which is probably related to the word for to create. And a Jew will not say that name. If a Jew comes across that in the sacred text when when they are at prayer, they will say Adonai, which means Lord. And it's interesting. You combine the 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 vowels for the word Adonai with the consonants YHWH, you get Jehovah. And that is not God's name either. <laughs> that is uh, uh, a word that no one had ever said before the year 1200 AD, give or take. Uh, it's it's a complete mistake using the vowels of Lord and the consonants of YHWH. Because when they put vowel points in the text of Scripture, you see, Hebrew doesn't necessarily have to have vowels. You can kind of guess at them. Uh, it's kind of like us when we see a sign on the expressway. It's expwi. Someone who doesn't know that we're reading expressway to EXPWY says, what's an expwi? Well, that's kind of the way Hebrew does it. It it doesn't include vowels. Uh, and so they put vowel points above and below the, the line of the sacred text so as not to change the text. And uh, when they came to the word YHWH, they, they thought, we can't put the proper vowels in here lest someone mistakenly says the sacred name. And so in the in, when they put the vowel points in to the sacred text, they put the text, the vowel points in for Adonai, which is what a Jew in prayer will use when addressing God. If they're not in prayer, they will have a very oblique way of talking about God. They'll talk about the name Hashem. They'll talk about heaven, Shmaim, uh, just as we would do. Heaven forbid. That means God forbid. But a devout Jew will not even write G-O-D, as I was saying. They'll write G-D. And um, I think the reverence that they have for the holy name um, is something terribly admirable that perhaps we should imitate. So moving along here, St. Paul says no one can say that Jesus is Lord. And a Jew, though that was addressed to the Corinthians, a Jew among them saying no one can say Jesus is Lord, Kyrios, he would have seen the Hebrew word, or the, the, well, the Hebrew word Adonai, and he would have thought YHWH. No one can say that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in any sense or any form, without inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is Elizabeth. She's been given to understand uh, who Jesus really is. Uh, and and then, uh, uh, I, I love this, uh, the mother of my Lord should come to me. And remember, she is a daughter of Aaron. She is the wife of, of a temple priest. For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. And that word for joy is just glorious. It is, um, uh, um, uh, I think it's agaliase, which means uh, to jump up and down, you're so excited. That's what, literally what it means, to jump up and down, you're so excited. So it wasn't just, boom, oh, the, the baby kicked. No, this baby's going up and down and up and down. And we talk about John. John was not immaculately conceived. But he, in a certain sense, accepted Christ in the womb. So he was born in a state of grace, the theory is. Not conceived in a state of grace. He's not immaculately conceived. But he was born in relationship to God uh, that we would talk about with uh, uh, a sanctifying grace. So this is a wonderful, of the joyful mysteries, I think this might be the most joyful. So 
And that said, let us now go to a bit of a break. We'll come back with letters. And I got, you know, my whiny appeal for letters. Boy, did I get letters. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, the phone number. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. voice in my head to play it. This was Robert Burns' favorite melody for his poem, Old Lang Syne. The reason you can't understand it is it's in Scots, Scots English, uh, a dialect which is, uh, might as well be a different language. But I think it's beautiful. So I just thought I'd play that as the new year comes. And uh, uh, it's beautiful. Actually, you can find it if you, if you enjoy that melody. It's the Tannehill Weavers. Uh, you can find it on YouTube very easily. Old Lang Syne, Tannehill Weavers, YouTube. I, I think it's a gorgeous melody. But that's just for the fun of it. But now for the fun of it, let us go to letters. Okay, I got lots of letters. Thank you. I was so whiny the other day about letters, and, well, uh, you were so kind. A little too kind. I got a lot of letters. Oh, by the way, uh, don't forget the new app. Uh, go to the website, or just go to your app store and get the new app. You will like it. If you know how to do that, and if you don't know how to do it, ask someone who's under 20, and they'll get you your new app. Uh, it's it's really good. So um, give it a shot. And also, don't forget Father Rocky's Eucharistic Encounters. We are preparing for the big Eucharistic revival in, in uh, the, the Eucharistic Congress in July this year in Indianapolis. So those are really wonderful stories. So. I encourage you to go to them. Well, let's let's look at a letter. I wanted to start with a letter from uh, from. I'm just going to use this first night, Rabbi David uh, in Florida. Uh, uh, you know, he was listening. He listens to the show. And Rabbi, if you're listening, I I'm very honored that you listen. Uh, but um, the uh, um, we were talking about Saint Joseph and uh, not wanting to expose Mary to the penalty of the law and. Uh, well, not so much dependent on the law as to shame. And and uh, we had a caller call in that one, there's one theory that Joseph was overawed by his responsibility. He knew exactly what was going on. And that may be true. Elizabeth, St. Elizabeth, we believe, knew what was going on. It's possible. But the word uh, uh, to make an example of her in Greek makes me think that he was thinking of the possibilities of the law. And Rabbi David sent me a very beautiful uh, letter uh about uh, the rabbinical approach. The ancient rabbis placed strict conditions and limitations on the death penalty, which ensured that this punishment would very rarely, if ever, be carried out. In the particular case of adultery, for example, the deed must have been committed in the personal presence of two reputable eyewitnesses. 
and a specific warning not to carry out the deed must have been issued to the parties involved. So there were limits, and I think that's that's. I uh, thank you, Rabbi David, for that. But the the verb is uh, it isn't to expose her to the penalty of the law. It, the verb is to uh, simply to uh, well. Uh, uh, let me pull it up. It's uh, okay. Example of her. Okay. Okay. Click. There we go. No, no, that's not it. Oh, dear. Oh, yes. It's in Matthew one nineteen, And it says that Joseph, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, uh, um, uh, and not wishing, and the word is degmatisai. Uh, uh, we get the word paradigm from it. Uh, indicate is related to it uh, etymologically. Degmatisai though indicates a, a, from a Latin word. Uh, it means to, to, to make a public spectacle or to, to make an example of her. He didn't want to do that. And Rabbi David points out, well, I don't know. I should read again to make sure I'm not reading into what the rabbi has said. But uh, Joseph was a good Jew in, in trying to find a way to mercy. And I'd like to point out to people that when we talk about justice, we mean you'll get yours <laughs> and I'll get mine that justice has nothing to do with mercy for us. Whereas I really think that in the in the Hebrew understanding of tzedek, justice, righteousness, there's also tzedekah, which means charity, that you look at the situation. Uh, one size does not fit all. And I, I think that we need to, to remember that. So thank you for the letter, Rabbi. And, and I'm, as I said, I, I'm honored that you listen. Uh, I just let me read one line. When Joe St. Joseph went ahead and took Mary's his wife, despite the pregnancy, I'd like to think he was acting as a good and faithful Jew. And he was a tzaddik, a righteous man. Thank you again. All right. Let us go to another letter. Let's see here. All right. Oh, this is from Betsy, uh, who's, who's uh, Greek. I think Greek Orthodox. She's Orthodox. I don't know if Greek Orthodox. But... Um, uh, She's wondering about more difference between Catholic and Orthodox. Uh, um, the Holy Day of Obligation. Shouldn't we go for the sake of love? And, you know, I, 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 when people talk about love, I always say, want to say, define love. If you're doing something for the sake of love, define love. Well, love is when you love someone. Or loving is, is feeling good about someone. And to me, the best definition of love, which I tell you constantly, is is St. Thomas Aquinas' definition that to love is to will the good of another. And that doesn't just mean to think pleasant thoughts about hoping they get along well, to do what is in your ability to to bring them to the good. Uh, you may not be able to, you may be able to do very little, but to love is to will the good of another. And... You know, this idea to do something for love, uh, um, I think the imposition of an obligation, uh, um, and this is, this is probably pretty Roman. You know, Romans were funny about religion. They, they were very uh, uh, precise in their religious, even as pagans, they were very precise in their religious rituals, and there was a great obligation laid on them. I don't know if we inherit that from them, but... I think I think obligation is an important part of of love. Love imposes certain obligations. When we say we should do it for love, it means because we feel like doing it. Yeah, it's wonderful when 
we feel like doing it. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm tired. I get up in the morning and I, I try to say mass every day. Um, uh, and and uh, I try to say the rosary every day. And when I sit down, I think, oh, I'd rather just go to bed. I don't want to finish. I didn't say the rosary. It, I feel an obligation. And then I get into the rosary and and I do it for for the sake of affection, <laughs> of enjoyment. I, I really do. Uh, uh, but but you know, do not think that priests. <laughs> I got a joke. <laughs> I, oh, I love this joke. It's it's a good joke. The guy goes home to visit his uh, mom and dad for the weekend, and mom comes in on Sunday morning and says, get up, it's almost time to get ready for church. And he says, I'm not going. And she says, you're not going? He says, no. <laughs> they don't like me, I don't like them, and it's boring. Why should I go? And his mother says, well, because you're the pastor. Now get up, put your clothes on, and we're going. <laughs> Thank you for it. I think that's a great joke at any rate. But, you know, this idea, I'm doing it because I feel like doing it, that's not necessarily love. Uh, and I remember the story of, a, of an old Jew, um, and I think this kind of alarms people. Most ortho, I think all the Orthodox Jews I've ever met believe in judgment and, and the resurrection and the life of the world to come. But it is not necessary to believe in the survival of death to be a good and faithful Jew. And the story is told of an old Jewish man who did not believe in the survival of death, and he was Orthodox, and he was precise and punctilious in his observance of the law. And somebody said, you know, you're not going to be judged. You're not going to go to hell, as far as you know. Why are you so exacting in your following of the law. And the old man just looked up and said, because he's worth it. He's worthy. And to recognize worthiness, I think obligation is important. I don't know when it was applied. Um, the, the, the church in the town whence comes my mother's family can hold a few hundred people. And it was for most of its existence, a town of two to 3000 people. So not everybody's going to church on Sunday. They didn't always honor the obligation. Uh, that's my suspicion. Um, in the Middle Ages, they would not have had uh, the 8th, the 10, and the 12. Uh, they would have just had Mass. And they might have had two Masses, but so I, don't, I doubt that they have more than that. So I think this... Betsy asked, when did this, when did this obligation thing start? And I think it started in the identification of, uh, um, the church and the state, which happened in the early middle ages. I mean, as far as Charlemagne was concerned, he was the head of the church and he was the protector of the Bishop of Rome, which was part of the Holy Roman empire and that sort of thing. Uh, um, that that this was your civic duty to go to mass on Sunday. Uh, now, in the Greek and Orthodox world, I, I don't think they ever enunciated as an obligation, but I think the obligation was there from social pressure. I mean, the town was Christian, and you went to church, and if you didn't, the priest would come and visit you and say, where are you? I mean, there's nothing as... as Daunting as a Orthodox, a Greek or Russian Orthodox priest on a mission, <laughs> they mean it. So uh, I think the obligation was there, but um, uh, 
I think it, it happened in the West because people were not living up to their obligation. I suspect in the Orthodox world, it may have been, there may have been more compliance with that, that obligation to worship. So it didn't have to be legislated. That's just my theory. I, I, I do not know when, uh, um, I'll have to do some research, but I do not know when that happened. But I think the idea of obligation is not a bad thing. I'm doing this because I must. Uh, people of good character uh, and good morals understand there are certain things which you do because you are obliged. And I am not above my obligation. And uh, we live in a world in which uh, 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 we're all above our obligations. Uh, and we kind of create our own religions. And I remember... Cardinal George uh, said, the person who, make, who, who makes his own religion soon finds he's worshiping himself. So when you say, I can do, I agree with that, but I don't agree with that. And that's okay, but that's not okay. And, you know, you, you pick and choose and kind of make your own smorgasbord religion. Uh, you soon, you're worshiping yourself. Interesting, I think. Thanks for the letter, Betty. That was great. Okay, let's see here. Um, Ah, uh, let's see. There's somebody, this is uh, from Mary. Uh, I'm talking about how I was talking about how priests get very distracted with everybody, uh, you know, coming at him. Well, she says it isn't just the priest, parishioners in meetings. <laughs> uh, um, they get distracted. Instead of children in PTA meetings, you have parishioners in parish and other diocesan business. So. I think that, that uh, well, point well taken, Mary. We all need to be prepared for Mass, and Mass should never be just a public meeting or a venue for news. Now, this is interesting. This is from Mr. H. in Illinois. When he betrayed Jesus, did Judas know that Jesus would actually be crucified? No, I don't think he did. I think he, like so many of us who are about to do something terrible, lied to himself. There are whole theories that, that Judas wanted to get Jesus to finally show his power as Messiah. I think that's nuts. I think Judas was interested in getting out of the mess he was in. Jesus was going to get them all killed. And he thought he'd get a little money, go back home, and start start up in business again. Uh, uh, Judas thought he was doing the smart thing. And in a way, he was. Um, uh, all of the other apostles eventually did get killed, except the tradition says St. John, the beloved disciple, because he stood at the foot of the cross. He had already gone to the cross with Christ and needn't do it again. But all the rest, tradition tells us, died violent deaths. Judas, I don't think he knew what was going to happen. They just wanted to arrest Jesus. That's all he knew, and he was going to help him. And I don't think he, I suspect if he was anything like me, he wouldn't have thought about the consequences, just about uh, getting out of the mess and and the the reward, but then he realized very quickly what they were going to do. That's my thought. I you know I wasn't there, so I don't know. Let's see. Maybe do another one. Okay. Um, hi, Father Simon, and this is from Andrew. I'm confused. Does Eucharist mean good gift or Thanksgiving? It means Thanksgiving. Uh, 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 charis is a grace, but it's the usual way to say thank you in Greek. Charisto in modern Greek. Just as in ancient Greek means thank you, I thank you, I, I wish you, I wish blessings on you. It's it means Thanksgiving, and uh, that's because the rabbis of we read in the Talmud, the rabbis said uh, when the uh, when the Messiah came, all the laws uh, would all the sacrifices would pass away 
except for the Thanksgiving sacrifice. You wouldn't need sin offering because the rabbi was there, we wouldn't commit sin. That's, or the Messiah was there, we wouldn't commit sin. Uh, uh, those offerings would be useless except for the 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 todah, the thanksgiving offering. So todah means thank you in Hebrew and in Greek it was eukaristia. So it, it means thank you. Um, I remember t- discussing that with Rabbi Lefkowitz who said, uh, uh, yeah, but the, the Messiah will have to point out in the Torah where that's true. <laughs> you wouldn't get too far past the Torah, Rabbi Lefkowitz, and wisely. Let's see, what time? Oh, I think let's Let's uh, go to a break. Um, uh, the phone lines are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We will come back with a word of the day. Network sponsor TimeBank can make remote account opening easy. No matter where you are in the country, they offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at time.bank. That's time.bank. Member FDIC. Frosty the Snowman was a jolly happy soul With a good cup pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal Frosty the Snow Person We gotta be inclusive, Frosty the Snow Person I'm kidding, good grief Alright, let's go to the word of the day Alright, the word of the day uh, uh, it's from Zephaniah, and I, it's very poignant to me. In, in the letter, in the in the 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 book of Zephaniah, we read. Oh, I've gotten all the way down to the. Okay, here it is. Uh, Fear not, O Zion; be not discouraged. And I was just kind of curious what the Hebrew word for discouraged was, and it's a fascinating kind of construction. That do not fear. Uh, uh, it shall be said to Jerusalem. Do not fear, Zion. Uh, don't let your hands literally uh, grow slack. Don't let your hands sink or relax. It's an interesting word, Rafa. And um, it means to become helpless. It means it can mean discouraged, but don't let your hands. You know, we read in the Psalms, prosper the work of our hands, Lord. And I think this is a very, very good message for the moment. You know, there is in the church and in the world a tendency as we speak to be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't strengthen your, your drooping hands, as Scripture says elsewhere. That, that don't, don't give up the work. Uh, you know, the, the, the final chapter has certainly not been written. And so often we think that, that uh, God is not supporting the work that we do for him, but you know, live good and virtuous lives. Teach your children the faith, and and don't be don't let your hands grow slack. Don't let your hands relax. I think that's a a beautiful word for us. All right. Well, let us now go to oh, what are those things? Phones. Hello, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Not these days. I'm retired. The eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four. Nine one four nine. We have Joe calling from Wellington, New Jersey. 
What can I do Father, for I you? I love you, but you get me in trouble with God sometime. Uh, oh, I, I, I and, can Satan say the name of God? Can he say uh, the YHWH word? Uh, Satan, you know, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I know that uh, I'll never forget the case of one story, one that I heard from an exorcist about, uh, 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 you know, uh, that, that people say, well, the devil can't pray in the name of Jesus. And this possessed person was saying, in the name of Jesus, no problem. And then at the end said, in the name of Jesus Gonzalez. <laughs> I thought that was almost funny. In other words, uh, the devil can say the name Jesus, but he cannot invoke the person of Jesus. So I don't know how that applies to YHWH. I, I should think that, uh, uh, that, that the devil cannot invoke the person of the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, it's very interesting in, uh, in Kabbalah, which is a, a, a Jewish kind of mysticism, they, taught, they don't believe that there is a devil. The devil is the dark side. You know, the theology of uh, Star Wars is really very Kabbalistic. You know, you got the the good side, the dark side, and the light side. You know, and and that kind of is the approach to God. I don't understand it, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But I would say that that the devil cannot invoke the person of Jesus, and. I would think the devil cannot invoke the person of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of whom Jesus, we believe, is constituent. Does that help a little, Joe? Sure. Think of every time you breathe. When you breathe in, you go, yeah. And then when you breathe out, uh, you go, the other word, W-A-Y. Yeah. I'll tell you really quickly why you got me in trouble with God. How? I was talking to my good friend. He's a Jewish guy. We're always discussing religions, kind of like you and Rabbi yeah. Lefkowitz. So I was in the store the other day, and we were talking about one of the statements you made, the trouble with God is that he thinks he's God. Yes. And then all of a sudden, this is a clock replay page. He's got a hundred cuckoo clocks on the wall. And none of them are on <laughs> Sunday at any particular time. All of a sudden, when we said that, a clock went off 12 times. Oh, uh, there you go. Like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? And then we said the name of Jesus, and a cup fell off the wall for no reason. So well, that's may, my story, that might that might not have been the God. That might that might have been might, might not have been God. It might have been somebody else getting nervous. You never know. So all right. Fine. Well, interesting, Joe. Well, hang in there, and remember, time, greater Merry is Christmas, greater is He that is you too. Greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. Let's go to Mary Alice from Columbus, Ohio. Mary Alice, what can I do for you? Hello, Father. A very blessed Advent to you. <laughs> Um, last week you were talking about angels and I've known that, yes, they are very intelligent, but oh, you had yes. mentioned that they learn from us and I'm well, thinking now. They will. over this past well, week, well, okay, this past week while I was at work and while I'm here and I'm, I'm not married, I'm by myself a lot, but I always mm-hmm. say grace before dinner and meals yeah, at lunch yeah, at sure. work and I'm making the sign of the cross often. Do do our angels, our guardian angel, um, why would they need to learn this, these kinds of things from us? Wouldn't they well, already I don't know, that, know these things? I don't. I don't know that they would need to learn those things. But First Corinthians six three mm-hmm. says, "Do you not know that we will judge the angels? How much more the things of this life?" And when we think of judgment, we think of a courtroom, up or down, innocent or guilty. Uh, that's not mm-hmm. what the the concept is uh, 
for in Hebrew, to judge is to give good counsel. And there are things that the angels will ask us about because you see, we know Christ in a way that the angels don't even know Christ. We can, but hmm. that's in St. Paul says we will judge angels right now. We don't, but in the world to come, the angels will come and say, what do you think about this? That's how I interpret <laughs> that first Corinthians six, three. So there you go. Does that help a little? Well, yes. So they, they don't even know about Christ. He's oh, of course they know about them, Christ. They, they yeah. know about Christ. Of course they know about Christ. But we know Christ in with a certain intimacy that mm. they don't. Okay. You know. I see. Uh, I see. Yeah. They're they're in union okay. with God and, and in what we would call a state of grace. But but um the idea that we share uniquely in the creativity of God and and in a certain relationship to to, to Jesus, the Son of God, I think those are unique privileges given to human beings. And uh um the angels honor us for us, except for the devils, the fallen angels who envy us for it. That's that's my thought on this. I hope that helps a little. Yes, it does. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. That's, that's God bless, very Mary Ellis. Yeah, thank it you. Is, it is. It is interesting. Okay. First Corinthians six six thirteen. All right, very good. Well, okay. yeah. thank you. Let's go to. Let me let me make sure I got the right citation for you. Oh, six three, not sixteen. First Corinthians six three. First Corinthians six three. That's the reference to it. And, of course, you're taking what I say with a grain of salt, I hope. All right, moving along. Let's go to, uh, thank you, Alicia from San Antonio, Texas. Alicia, what can I do for you? Yes, Father, I have uh, somebody that's just starting to want to read the Bible, and uh-huh. they're and they're my age. We're older, you know, senior citizens, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, they want a large print Bible, and I'm trying to think of the best Catholic uh, translation to give to them well there's a bible called the catholic study bible which uses the translation that we use at mass and it has good notes um i don't know if they make a large print version of it but you might also want to have them look into jeff cavins uh jeff and emily cavins um great adventure bible study which i think is the very best first bible study going it it does what we used to call when i was a kid bible bible history you, you study 14 books of the Bible, which gives you a timeline, and then you plug the rest okay. of the books of the Bible. Like when did when did Zephaniah prophesy in the reign of Josiah? It plugs them in later, but it gives you the essential uh-huh. story of salvation in 14 books of the Bible. So Jeff and Emily Cavins, you might want to look it up on the web. It is wonderful. C-A-V-I-N-S. Okay. Yeah. But, um, okay. uh, but if the Bible itself that you might want to get would be uh, the Catholic Study Bible, I think. All right? All right. Okay. Thank you, Father. All right. God bless. Mm-hmm. God Thanks bless. for listening, Have a happy, happy, happy yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanks. Christmas uh-huh. and a Merry New Year. I'll have them both. All right. Let's go to Ron from beautiful Milwaukee. I know that I'm saying it right, Milwaukee. If you know Milwaukee, you don't say Milwaukee. It's Milwaukee, right, Ron? Yes, it's Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee, yes. I, yes, I have a very dear friend, may he rest in peace, who was, we all used to joke he was from the old country, Milwaukee. Well, what can I do for you? Yes, why is there so much controversy from the Latin Mass to the English version Mass? I, you, you refer differently uh, over the Internet. When I listen to Relative Radio often, I listen to it often. I even uh, promote your station. Well, thank you. This is a tough question, and, and I have theories about it. Um, 
I think that there are some people who dislike the Latin mass because <laughs> they didn't take Latin. You know, and you do pray in your first language. But on the other hand, English changes so quickly. English is one of the most fluid languages going. And I think one of the problems is that the changes were so absolutely abrupt. Uh, they were they were big changes that were introduced very suddenly. And the changes that were made were not the changes that the Vatican Council um, foresaw. Uh, you know, they talk about the mass of the Second Vatican Council. Well, this is what we have is now the mass of the uh, of the liturgists of, of the 60s. And, and a lot of people resented it greatly. Myself, you know, I taught Latin for just short of 25 years. I always say teaching dead languages to comatose seminarians. I yelled a lot, kept them awake after lunch. But, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Latinist, and, and uh, uh, you still pray in your first language. And I think it's important for us to remember that the Mass would originally have been in Aramaic, and very quickly it was in Greek. And then in Rome, the year, in, the, in the third century, second century, they were not happy. They wanted, they wanted Mass in the traditional language, Greek. <laughs> but it got into Latin. So the idea is uh, that 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 uh, mass in the vernacular, in other words, the common language, has always been an issue. However, the real problem that happened after the Vatican Council was had nothing to do with the Vatican Council or even most dimensions of the liturgical movement. The kind of informal attitude that I, as a priest, can improve on this and make up what I want we lost reverence for the reality of the Mass. And whether that is a Latin Mass or the new Mass, the Novus Ordo, uh, uh, Mass irreverently said, Mass where the celebrant thinks of it as a venue for his personal artistic, political, or theological expression. That's wrong. Mass is Mass. It's the eternal and unchanging sacrifice of Calvary. Uh, represented, not represented, but represented in the current time. And so I think if there had been more care at the time uh, to ensure a reverent celebration of Mass, um, there wouldn't have been this problem. Uh, um, you know, Latin, one of the advantages of Latin is you can go anywhere in the world. And we live in such a fluid world now. You can go anywhere in the world and go to the Mass that you'd be going to at home. Now, it's kind of vaguely, you know, you kind of know where you are at Mass. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, and, and it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, I remember in, in the play uh, Man for All Seasons about the life of Thomas More. Uh, in, in the play, I don't know if this happened historically, but in the play, the Spanish ambassador comes to visit Sir Thomas, and he hears Sir Thomas's daughter and her fiancé upstairs praying the breviary in Latin. And he says, ah, Latin, that's sacred language. And St. Thomas says, not sacred, just old. Except there is an advantage to those things old. And to be united in, in uh, uh, have a common language, the Vatican Council, wanted all people to be able to sing the major parts of the Mass, the Creed, the Our Father, the Gloria, and, and the, the Holy, Holy, the Lamb. They wanted them to be able to, to say it and sing it in Latin, but nobody worries about that. So what we're dealing with is not the problem of Latin or English, but of reverent or irreverent uh, 
and of of um, uh, structured or unstructured. And uh, you know the the you know I you know, I think all of you know I I have been involved with the charismatic renewal for most of my life, and and it is a very important part of my spiritual life. But one of the big problems with the charismatic renewal is people come up to me and say, Father, we want you to offer a charismatic mass, which when I was young, no problem. But then I realized there's no such thing as a charismatic mass. And I would tell them I can't offer, I don't know how to offer a charismatic mass. I can only offer a Catholic one. And uh, I think that that was a moment of growth in my life when I realized that. The mass is not the property of any single movement, be it a liturgical movement, be it a parish, be it, you know, to take the mass and make it, tailor make it to what I want is wrong. And and um, charismatics wanted spontaneous masses and structured prayer meetings. The, oh, there's the, the music. Mass is always structured. It is the ceremony and the sacrifice of the covenant. It is structured. That said, Drew is structured, but he's also quite spontaneous. So, well, at mass, he's, he's pretty structured. I've watched him. All right. Talk to you soon. <laughs> 